Welcome to Trail Effect episode 28. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. For episode 28, we bring you Chris Lacey, who is the co-founder and creator of Timberbell. Timberbell is a tool that can help mountain bikers become better trail users while using shared-use trails. In this episode, we discuss why Chris created the Timberbell and the ways that we can all become better trail users. If you have never heard of the Timberbell or if you have been curious about using a bell, the Timberbell is the product for you. Support for Trail Fit comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wellenek of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Here we are at Trail Effect. I have Chris Lacey of Timberbell. Chris is based out of Encinitas, California, and he has a product that I believe every mountain biker, at least every mountain biker that uses shared use trails should have. And that's why I reached out to Chris Lacey to talk about his product, which is the Timberbell. How's it going today, Chris? It's going great, Josh. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, for sure. Let's talk about your backstory a little bit prior to Timberbell and what, you know, kind of how you grew up and what brought you to uh, to where you are today. Okay. Uh, my backstory is um, I, I moved around a lot as a kid, so I, I've kind of lived all over the country. Uh, but eventually in the 90s, uh, my wife and I settled down here in San Diego County. We, in addition to mountain biking, we're actually hugely into surfing. Uh, we live a block from the beach and have great waves here in San Diego. So uh, it's nice to have uh, the two sports to play off each other. When the conditions are good for one, they're frequently not good for the other. So uh, we've always got a backup plan. Um, so yeah, I've lived in San Diego since mid-90s. Uh, first got into biking as a kid up in Orange County. Uh, we were part of that group of uh, of mostly young kids who took their Schwinn Stingrays and went down to the motorcycle shop and uh, bought uh, motorcycle handlebars and grips and got rid of our banana seats and replaced them with uh, regular cycling seats and basically uh, ended up becoming the sport of BMX. So that was that was kind of my first start on riding bikes on trails. And then obviously, fast forward quite a few years later, and uh, got into mountain biking uh, when we lived in Boulder in the 90s and uh, just kept going from there. Yeah. So did you have any kind of background or business background with anything before you started this? I mean, I have a business background, but it's in marketing. Uh, so, you know, I always kind of been a sales or marketing guy, did a lot of advertising, worked for some TV stations and some ad agencies, that kind of thing. So, you know, that part of the background was really helpful in terms of like designing packaging, um, just kind of trying to target your audience and pick channels for, for, you know, marketing messages, that kind of thing. 
Um, but as far as business of running a manufacturing company, nothing. <laughs> we, we, we learned it from scratch. Yeah. So what led you to uh, come up with the Timberbell idea? Because the Timberbell, for those who don't know, and you'll talk about this better than me, but my, my perspective on this is that it's unique in the sense that you can turn, turn it on and off and you don't need to physically ding it, which is yeah. what I like about it the most. Exactly. That, that's the thing that makes it so unique. It's, um, it's this really subtle psychological difference between actively dinging a bell and telling the person that you're trying to communicate with, you know, basically beep, beep, I'm here, um, which is a somewhat of aggressive act, even, you know, if you mean it in the kindest way, it still can come off aggressive versus, you know, cyclists, uh, trail cyclists for years have ridden with cowbells. Uh, or, you know, bear bells or, you know, similar kind of things that are completely passive, which don't have that kind of aggressive impact on the other trail user. But um, the problem with those is you can't turn them off. So if you're going to ride with one, you're going to ride with one your whole ride. And uh, it can get a little grating to listen to the ding, ding, ding uh, for a few hours. So the inspiration for for the timber bell was my wife and I were out on a ride. Um, we were just talking about Elfin Forest here in San Diego County. And um, we had an incident where we were just riding down the trail and, um, you know, kind of shouted a passing on the left to someone. And it went fine. I mean, there wasn't like, you know, there wasn't mayhem or anything like that. But my wife and I kind of, uh, after the moment had passed, started talking about it. And we both realized that we, we left the encounter feeling like we had wrong to the other trail user or like they were vibing us, I guess would be an easy way to say it. You know, you could just tell that they were thinking, uh, boy, you're aggressive or boy, they shouldn't allow bikes on this trail or something to that effect. And we just got to talking about it and we're like, yeah, you know, there really, there ought to be a way of signaling to people that lets them know you're coming but they don't feel like you're aggressively saying, hey, I'm coming, get out of my way. Um, because you're really not saying that in a way. You're more just saying, I want you to know I'm here so that we reduce the chances of, of colliding with each other. So if you, if you choose to step out of the way, that's great. But I'm not necessarily asking for that. But, but I do want you to know I'm here because, you know, I, I'm, I'm moving quicker than you. Uh, you know, and I've got a, a metal object <laughs> that's moving with me and it could hurt. Um, so, um, you know, we just said, how, how could you do that? And, you know, the, the conversation, um, basically said, what if you had a cowbell that you could turn off when you weren't using it? And it was like, yeah, that's great. And then really the next two years for us were about how can you have a cowbell <laughs> that you can turn off? easily and uh not coming from a an engineering or design or manufacturing background um you know we really just had to sleuth it on our own so we headed out to the garage with parts and uh you know hacksaws and duct tape and uh wrenches and <laughs> flamethrowers and everything else you could imagine uh welding parts together just uh just trying different ways of configuring you know, what's effectively a cowbell, a passive ringing bell, uh, but with, with an on-off switch. Uh, and, and, you know, being novices at, at design and engineering, it, it took us a while. <laughs> so I think it literally, it was, uh, it was like November 2012 when we got the idea. And I think we, we made our first sale in October 2014. 
And um, not that we worked on it nonstop during the two years, but but it really it wasn't a project that we put down uh, because if we put it down for a couple of weeks, it just kept sinking back into our heads. Like, yeah, this really makes sense. The the world kind of needs this. Um, so uh, eventually, we kind of had our proof of concept. Uh, I can remember it well. We were riding in in um, uh, Sedona and uh, the Bell Rock Trail. And um, it's a very, very popular trail with hikers. They, they drop off tour buses full of people there uh, and they hike in, in big groups. And we were at the top of the hill and we had our prototype bell mounted on our bike and headed down the hill and, you know, flipped the bell on. And this crowd just suddenly started to part like, Mo- we, like we said, like Moses at the Red Sea, like they just opened up for us. And, uh, and we just rode right down the middle. And, uh, you know, we even got sort of compliments from some of them like, hey, thanks for riding with a bell or, you know, have a nice day or whatever. And uh, it, it's just night and day uh, versus, you know, kind of scaring someone and shouting, passing on the left. Uh, we just we really felt like, okay, we've got this. So, you know, at that point, we had to figure out how to manufacture it, <laughs> which was a whole new challenge. So, I'm going to be honest here. I was resistant to bells when I first, you know, I mean, just bells that you would ding. And then when I first saw the timber bell, because I was kind of, I was a user that really thought I wanted a quiet experience. Uh huh. Yeah. And I also thought, what's the difference of a bell or just saying hi and being kind to trail yeah. users as you pass them? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, then COVID, then COVID hit. Uh huh. Yeah. And trail use, as yeah. we've all seen, just skyrocketed. Exactly. Right. And so about halfway through last summer, I'm like, yeah, I'll get one of these bells and, and use it and see what it's like. And a lot of people have been using them in, in my area. So I had to jump on that bandwagon. Right. Yeah. And I was, I was surprised at all the positive interactions I had with hikers. Yeah. They were, it was such, a, it was something I didn't expect. Yeah. And I've never had so many thank yous in my life of thank you for having that bell. Thank you for alerting us, you know, and it was, it was something that I really just didn't see coming. And so, yeah. What kind of stories do you have like that from either, either yourselves, or I'm sure you've gotten stories from your uh, customers. I, I get so many. It's just, it's incredible. It, it, it blows us away every, every time, you know, someone emails us or reaches out uh, because we hear that very thing just over and over and over again. And, and sometimes, you know, we can't believe it because, I mean, we realize our product is, is simple. It's just a bell. Bells have been around for thousands of years. You know, it's, it's, it's so simple. Why, why does it work so well? And when I say work so well, I don't necessarily mean mechanically, but why does it, why does it psychologically get such a positive reaction? You know, I, I still don't fully understand. I mean, you know, there's a little bit of magic there, I suppose, and just humans are really difficult to explain. I, I do think it's possible the pitch of the bell is just right. And and for that, I think, honestly, we probably just got lucky um, because, uh, you know, we, we, we designed the bell and making a bell mold is, is not cheap. And, um, you know, we, we had to sink the money into making the bell mold. And, um, you know, we, we, the, the, we got it back from, you know, the sample from the factory. And the first moment we were heard it, we were like, oh my God, this sound is just great. 
Uh, and I, so I do think that that's a part of it is that it just, it has a sound that's non-aggressive. Um, you know, it's, it's a friendly sound, um, you know, but, but I can't say I went out and like, uh, you know, <laughs> had any sort of musical experience where, or, or expertise where we would, uh, you know, try to find the perfect pitch. I think we just got lucky and, and got a really good pitch the first time. So, yeah, but I, I think that's part of it. Yeah. So one of the thing, one of the other things that inspired me to reach out to you was, um, I just did an interview with Christina Waite. She's, uh, she's from Seattle. Uh-huh. She, uh, owns a company called sketchy trails. She does a lot of trail art and comics, uh-huh. um, re- related to positive trail use. And we kind of side tangent, we did a went on a side tangent on that interview. And one of the comments that she had made, and she has a timber bell. Uh-huh. And one of the comments that she has made was the sound of that bell versus other bells and how it is very appealing and positive versus other things that are more, um, let's say, aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So that that's <laughs> pretty awesome that you're able to nail that without really even trying. Yeah. Yeah. Luck, you know, luck. but at the same time, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so as you, you started the company, you, you came up with the idea. How did things go when it actually came into manufacturing and what that? What kind of challenges did you guys face and 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 overcome to get yeah. this thing launched? It was a huge challenge. Uh, you know, not being manufacturing experts, uh, you know, we just started from scratch and we literally went on alibaba.com, uh, which is a an outsource. I mean, it, it's known kind of as as a sort of a Chinese Amazon uh, to most people in the US, but before it became that, it was a it was an outsourcing um uh, for manufacturing, where you would basically post uh, something that you wanted to make, and then uh, potential manufacturers would reply to you, and um, they would, you know, basically make an offer to make it. And so, you know, we we didn't want to post our whole product because you don't want to tell the world, you know, your secret design, and and our patent was still pending at that point. So, but we we actually just started with the brass bell part and. Because there, there's only one bell factory in the U.S. Um, called Bevan Bells. Um, they're in New England. And their factory had just burned down around the time we had started. Uh, they, they have rebuilt since. Um, but um, that was the only place in the U.S. Uh, that was actively manufacturing brass bells. So um, we knew we had to go overseas for it. And, and we, knew, we knew we wanted to keep the price point at a point that that, you know, it was affordable. It was such a novel idea. We didn't feel like we could go out and charge, you know, 50 or $75 for a bell uh, and get anyone to pay attention to it. Because, you know, I think, frankly, people thought it was weird at first. <laughs> like, what is this thing? So, you know, we wanted to keep the price point down. So anyway, um, we did get some bids back from some factories uh, in all in Asia. Well, one in Mexico, but uh, mostly in India and, and China. And, um, you know, just like anyone would do picking suppliers, we went through the, the various bids and we, we picked this one factory and, um, they, you know, they did, a, they did a pretty good job for us. Um, but, you know, it was a giant learning curve um, trying to work um, with overseas manufacturing, um, just something we'd never done before. Um, I, you know, I, and even now, seven years later, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say we're experts at it. It's, it's still... It's still challenging. Um, you know, there's just there's a lot of logistics, especially during COVID, um, with raw material shortages and transportation uh, slowdowns. Um, it's it's one of the biggest challenges that we face uh, is just you know keeping uh, keeping the product flowing. 
Yeah, that's a challenge in the whole bike industry right now. Yeah, for sure. And probably a lot of under, other industries outside of the bike industry, but obviously we're playing in the bike industry. So we see how yeah. people are having a hard time getting bikes and other stuff because of supply chain issues and Absolutely. whatever else goes into that. Yep, for sure. You know? So how have things evolved since your first generation of the Bell? Have you guys been kind of refining it as it goes? Yeah, we do refine it as we go. Um, we're on what we call version four now. Um, it's it basically there were there was there's been two main uh, let's call it designs and 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 accompanying mold sets. Um, and um, with each mold set, so we started with with one, and then over the course of that, we my God, I can't I can't even count how many small changes that we made along the way to make it function better. But effectively, we had a version one and version two of the first mold set. And then our, our first manufacturer, um, they, were, they were really very small. I actually went and visited them. Uh, and they were really operating nearly out of a barn. Uh, I mean, it was, it was extremely primitive. I was, I was a little bit shocked when I first went there. They were wonderful people. But I, we didn't feel that they were sophisticated enough for us as we continued to grow. So. We switched to a different factory about three years ago and, um, you know, something a, a lot more uh, contemporary and, and modern. And um, so when we did that, we switched to uh, a second generation. So uh, the older timber bells, if you see one that's five years old or something like that, it, it looks a little bit different than the ones now. Uh, they function fairly similarly. But, um, but the goal all along through all these versions up until the one we're on now has been to make it more manufacturable, first of all, uh, because it's, I don't want to say it's complicated, but it's, I guess everything's complicated when it comes to manufacturing and, and trying to make something that can be put together, uh, you know, rapidly and easily, uh, and then function well is, is quite a bit of a challenge. Uh, and then making it durable enough to stand up to mountain bikers, uh, has really, uh, uh to be frank, uh, an enormous challenge. Uh, mountain biking is such a rugged sport. Um, you have so many crashes. The bike vibrates so hard on downhill rides, you know, that making something that functions in this very, very subtle way, you know, this just gently swinging pendulum on the easiest of meadow trails, uh, and yet then goes and stands up to, you know, a, a Downeyville downhill, you know, at 40 miles an hour with jump and, uh, you know, making something that'll do both things uh, and not break over time has been a big challenge. So, so that's really been probably the, the main focus of our design upgrades over the years. So let's transition into just being kind on the trails. What have you found out since you guys, since your bells have gone live and, and your feedback from users, you know, obviously I think, you know, we'd like to think that with trails becoming more prevalent with more mountain bikers coming out and things as we evolve becoming more acceptable, we still hear stories of uh, trail closures and, and some of the negative sides of things. You know, so how do you, you know, how do you see, I, I think the tim timber bell is, is huge in helping that. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the timber bell is huge in helping that as well, but I, you know, I think it can only go so far. And, uh, you know, I think people taking an active role in their, in their local trail community is an absolute must. Um, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, I, th I think the chance of, of getting new trails and keeping an existing trails open, uh, you know, is potentially a losing game if you, if you don't have that. And fortunately, you know, I'm, I'm heartened by the mountain bike community because I just, I don't think I've ever seen a nicer, more active group of people who are out there 
practicing what they preach. You know, they're, they're out there working to make their world better. Here in San Diego, SDMBA, our local, uh, you know, mountain bike trail source organization is just, they're incredible. I mean, they're just, uh, they're so active. It's sometimes it's, it's mind numbing that most of these people have real jobs as well. Because sometimes it seems like all they're doing is working to, uh, you know, preserve trail access for the rest of us. So, I mean, I guess, I guess that's my response is Timberbell is a great start, but I, I really, uh, you know, am huge supporter of, of seeing uh, trail organizations and what they can do in their local communities. Yeah. So you've been mountain biking since the 90s, started in Boulder. Yeah. What do trails mean to you as a, as a person, just in general? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an excuse to get out in nature, I, I suppose, to me, is, is its most fundamental uh, purpose. The same way, you know, surfing is. It's like, I, I love the, the thrill of riding the wave or riding the trail. But I mean, at its core, you know, getting myself out of the house, away from my work, and just out and just seeing the world and, and hearing it and smelling it and, and being out there is just, I mean, it's so good for our heads. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. Um, so to me, the, the trail is, <laughs> is the, the, the main thing we need to, to make that happen. So, uh, we need, we need them. For sure. And it sounds like you've traveled some, obviously, you know, you talked about being in Sedona. Yeah. And then, you, and you really just talked about, you know, your own personal trail community with the San Diego yeah. mountain bikers. What is it? What do you think the ingredients are? What does it mean to you to have an actual good trail community? Well, I mean, it's going to be everything from trail building, um, you know, just out there, you know, repairing uh, worn parts of the trail and uh, enhancing and improving. I love flow. So anything you can do to make them flowier, uh, I'm all for. Um, So, you know, I think that's number one. I think the the political component, uh, you know, going to city council meetings, boring as they are, and, uh, you know, waiting until 11 o'clock when your group gets to speak on your subject and uh, making your, your pitch for, you know, what you think needs to happen is, is an enormous part of it. Um, I think the social angle, too, is, is pretty darn important. I, I just, uh, mountain bikers are... You know, they're just such friendly, easygoing people in general. And uh, I, I just I love the way they congregate and, you know, share their love of the sport together. So, I mean, that's what I think of when I think of a trail group. For sure. And that is that is so true. And I think a lot of people that aren't part of mountain biking don't really know that or understand that. Yeah. You know, in your travels, what are some trail communities that are really are, are locations? It doesn't even necessarily need to be need to be a community. Mm-hmm. What are some of the places that stick out to you as places you either regularly visit or make it a point to go back to, or place, maybe a place you've been to once, but you know, and it's maybe really far away and you want to get back there because it left a really positive impression on you? Yeah, um, I could talk about both. Um, you know, we live in the Southwest. So um, for us, you know, San Diego County, Orange County is kind of our bread and butter. But um, when we can get away for, you know, a few days or a week, uh, we love to hit up Sedona. Uh, we love to hit up Southern Utah, Gooseberry Mesa, that area. We love Crested Butte, Gunnison, uh, phenomenal combination of mountains and kind of more desert riding there. Um, we like to get to Lake Tahoe. Um, the Rim Trail is just, gosh, there's nothing like that. View is incredible. Far flung places. We, we did go a place that um, is a pretty far flung as far as mountain biking. 
and it was one of the most amazing places I've ever been in my life. It's Cappadocia, Turkey. Uh, and I saw a picture of this. Uh, I think it was in a mountain bike magazine. It, I think an ad was shot there. And I, I saw this picture and I was like, I have to find out where that is and we have to go there. And um, it, 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 Google it. It, 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 looks like, it looks like it's from a Star Wars movie. Like there should be like Wookiees uh, cruising around and, you know, strange aliens. It is, it is the most unusual place. It's this very odd badlands with a series of uh, sandstone towers, I would call them. They're, they're enormous. So they're, you know, hundreds of feet high. And um, in these towers during like the Crusades of thousands of years ago, as marauders were crossing back and forth across Turkey, the local people built their homes and their churches and their communities inside of these towers. And um, the amazing thing is, is they're incredibly well preserved and completely open to the public. And but most of the places are a little too far away to walk from, you know, from town. Um, but they're perfect for mountain biking. There's these incredible flowy trails that go, you know, at the bases of these, uh, these badlands, uh, you know, towers. And you can, you can just ride for hours amongst these. Stop, climb up, go inside, look at a, this ancient dwelling. Um, it, <laughs> it is, it is absolutely crazy. So, uh, when COVID ends and, yeah, we're all out looking for unusual, far-flung places to travel. Check it out. It's it's pretty darn amazing. <laughs> yeah. So how long ago did you go there? I'm curious because yeah. this is this is I've been a mountain biking for a long time. Uh, the yeah. podcast is is pretty new, but yeah, this is the first I've ever heard of anything and like I this. I think it was 2014 or no 13. Yeah, 2013. Yeah. Um, we, we were we were already kind of on a Europe trip, and otherwise I I don't you know I. Would, I wouldn't just fly to Cappadocia to go mountain biking. That's pretty exotic. Uh, but we, but we did happen to be in Europe on vacation, and we thought, what if we just tack on, just take a, just take a, a hope that this is really worthwhile thing to do. And so we added like a four day uh, kind of side trip to to Cappadocia, and and we got there, and we were like, oh my god, <laughs> this is just insane. Uh, so I I would go back in a heartbeat. And, and I would encourage uh, anyone to go if uh, they find themselves in that part of the world. And if they're huge Star Wars fans. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. You got it. The, the intersection of Star Wars and mountain biking. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. So, well, do you have anything you'd like to close with or any, any other comments, uh, especially uh, people you'd like to thank? Um, you can talk about any, any distributors, the best way to get a hold of a timber bell. You know, really, I'd like to see more people using these things. I know locally, um, one of our local bike shops purchased, I believe, a hundred of them just through our local nonprofit to make sure that our kids that are on the NICA program have them for riding. Yeah, yep, yep. Exactly. No, and we, we are actively involved with, with NICA. Um, we do, um, you know, we do have special programs for NICA teams. Uh, reach out to me via the website. If you have a team and you're looking to outfit your bells, uh, your team with bells, um, you know, we can put together uh, a special, you know, program pricing for you, for the coaches. So yeah, happy to do that. As far as distributors, we're, we're with all the major distributors. Uh, well, nearly all, I would say. KHS, BTI. JNB, Coast to Coast, QBC, 
uh, QVP, I mean. Um, so uh, did I miss anybody? JBI, um, South. As far as people to thank, uh, I mean, I have to start with my wife, Liz. Uh, this has been a partnership from the very beginning. Uh, she works with me every day. We have a great time doing it. Um, and then there are two people I'd like to thank. I, I, I don't think I've ever really gotten a chance to properly thank them. But when we were first starting out, um, there's two people, Sergey Murphy, uh, who uh, is the uh, executive director of SDMBA here in San Diego, and Chris Gross, um, who was a rep uh, at the time for Rocky Mountain Bikes, uh, are, were both hugely enthusiastic of the product. They were enormously connected to the bicycle community. And they were incredible ambassadors to us, you know, who were really kind of novices in the industry. And and if it weren't for them, I don't think we would be where we are. So a, a huge thank you to both of them. So, yeah. Yeah. It always takes a, it takes a lot of people to get something to launch. And it's those connections are so, so important. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, well, Chris, really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Josh. This has been great. Yeah, I really, I'm really looking forward to getting your Timberbell story out. Like I said, I think more people need to use them. Um, obviously, the biggest feature, in my opinion, is that it's got a switch. Yeah, you know, so you don't have to always hear it. Um, when you get to your mountain bike specific downhill trails, you can shut it off. And when you're on your shared use trails, whether that's shared with hikers and horses or just hikers or whoever you're going to be sharing with, you can turn it on and yeah, and be a kind, uh, polite trail user and make sure you say hi to hi to users at the same time you know it's not just about the bell it's about the whole experience but the bell definitely is definitely one of those things when you say parting in the red sea you want to you want to go on a downhill and have fun yep <laughs> turn that bell on <laughs> not that i fully endorse people just raging in downhills that are <laughs> use, but probably a good point <laughs> but there is uh there is an element that that you might be surprised if you haven't tried one yet because they do i was pleasantly surprised and I don't leave home without it now. I appreciate it, Josh. Well, thank you, sir. Okay. Yeah, thank you. That was fun. Thank you very much for listening to the Chris Lacey and Timberbell interview. On our next show, we will bring you Jeff Kendallweed. Jeff is known for his bike reviews on YouTube, along with highlighting various trail communities. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness for both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, please remember to leave a comment and rate the show wherever you consume your podcasts. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people that feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.